Eddie, nice to finally meet you. Hi, Alan. Alan, nice to finally meet you as well. Eddie. So everything's been working out fine here, I guess? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. talked to my staff, said that you guys don't cause any problems, we don't cause any problems. Everyone's happy. No, and we eat your food and drink your booze. Can we talk a little bit? And we, and we mentioned the restaurant. So. Absolutely, yeah. That, that do, you, do you have one of our cards? No, I don't have one of your cards. Right. No. Certainly invited to listen. Okay. Thank you so much. Great, thank you. All right, well, enjoy your time, Alan. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Nice to meet you guys. Nice to meet you too. Okay. Here we go. I, I've got my IPA. I've got my martini. Your martini. Yes. Cheers. My, my diet martini. <laughs> mm. we're, at, we're, we're at Five Napkin Burger. Great place. And we're introducing... Bar Crawl Radio number 28. Is it 28? It's, uh... I think it's not. I think it's not. I think you should... You know what I should say? You know what, what you should do? You should say, we're introducing 28, and then say, we're introducing 29, and say, we're introducing 30, because I think it's 30 or something. Uh, you know, I don't know. I never remember numbers. Okay. And we're here at um, Five Napkin Burger, and we're introducing Bar Crawl Radio number 28 and a half. <laughs> We're introducing Barcrow Radio number 29. Number 29.7. I wouldn't want to say we go on forever. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's you, 30. You can, you can never run out of numbers. So this is kind of a, a special um, Barcrow Radio in which I um, embedded myself with Witness Against Torture in Washington, D.C. They are trying to close down Guantanamo. Right? Well, Guantanamo Prison. They're trying to encourage the government to close it down. Yes. Right, right. Yes. I was just talking to a gentleman next to me who, you know, happened happened to be here at Five Napkin Bar on West 84th Street mm-hmm. and Broadway. And I said, you know, we're doing this program on closing down Guantanamo. And he said, it's still open. Yes, right. I think, well, people don't really know. I don't think at I didn't know what was going on there. No. I didn't know. You know, I just assumed our government was being acting responsibly and, and picking up people mm, who, yeah. who truly were... You know, suspicious I think putting characters the together U.S. government and responsible yeah, I doesn't, guess. doesn't really work. It seems to be that's what we're discovering here. In the, in, in the midst of this shutdown that, that we're in. No, Guantanamo prison is still open. There are 40, 40 prisoners men. there, all Muslim, all men. They've been there for 17 years. Some Not are tried. Middle age and some are old. There's, there's a guy there over 70. Wow. And, and they have no hope of actually being tried for what they're being accused of doing. And the oh, program that um, right. is coming up is about is about that. So right. you know, I didn't I didn't want to get into too much detail about it. Because that's what the program's about. Yeah. That's what um, But we were gonna talk about your That's experience. what Barcrow Radio number twenty eight or thirty. Twenty nine, no quite quite thirty. Okay. It couldn't be thirty one. Uh, okay. no, I don't think so. <laughs> Uh, is is about so I, I thought for for this intro we could talk about my experience of living with right. the witness against torture group right. um, for about five days uh, it was it was over five days and then we ended up you know with uh, and, and I recorded a lot and um, putting together a series of four programs about that experience and their protest and they're getting arrested and they're fasting, and they're not fasting, and, you know, the, the joy of uh, finally putting food in your mouth. So um, I, I just wanted to talk about me being there. Embedded with what? With Witness Against Torture. Uh, now, one thing that you brought up and that I mentioned was that I went there really unprepared. 
and and it you thought it was kind way. of funny. It's kind of cute. Yeah, I mean, I went with a bag and a of of very few clothes. Well, you didn't uh, want to carry too much. No. We had to buy a um, a, what is it called? A sleeping a bag. Sleeping, bag, sleeping yeah. bag when we were in California because we didn't have one, and we were trying to think who has a sleeping bag that you could borrow. Who's where are they? How can you get it? Because you were going to go straight right. back from California, get home uh, Monday morning, and then leave nec- the next day, Tuesday, to go to Washington. Right. Because we had just been reporting about Tournament of Roses Parade. Right. Yeah. A very happy and light subject. Yeah, so we, get, we got home, and I had to get back on the bus, go to Washington, D.C., and then spend the next week with Witness Against Torture. And um, so you brought one towel. I brought a towel. A towel. No soap. No soap. <laughs> Um, I brought one extra pair of pants, no, no like night gear. And nothing to sleep in, which we, I think is very funny because didn't it occur sleep. to you that you would be sleeping in a room with other people? You think I would? <laughs> you might, you might have just gotten down to your shorts and just said, oh, good night guys. I know. Well, as like the third or fourth day I was there, I just gave up trying to put my pants on in my sleeping bag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I tried putting putting a pair of long pants on. In I've tried. I've done things like that. Yeah. You know, waiting yeah. for the lights to go off so I can get down to my shiv- shivvies. Right. My right, underwear. Right. Finally, I just walked around with my underwear. <laughs> you know, well, there you go. You know, old man walking around. Maybe with his you underwear. should have brought like one of those silk robes. You know, and <laughs> next time I <laughs> will. <laughs> next time I will. And some nice pajamas and right. you know, put Sleeping that towel jacket. over your shoulder and That'd grab cool. your toothbrush. I didn't. I didn't even bring toothbrush. any slippers. Yeah. Right. So I was wearing my, you know, my shoes to the bathroom. You're like, a, you're like, in the army or something. You know, you just you sleep in your uh, clothes. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so that was stupid. And I brought, I brought like a little food. Yeah. Because they weren't uh, eating; they were fasting. Right. And you yeah. thought, oh well, I'll find a place around I'll there. Find a place around there, and I'll eat. But I brought like a jar of peanut butter mm-hmm. and some salami. Right. And pretty much I existed on that. Right. Because we were really, really busy. It yeah. was um, there was there was a lot that was going on, and they were fasting, and I couldn't eat in front of them. I had to go find other places to eat. Was there anyone else that was eating? I think they were. I think some of them were cheating. Oh really? Yeah. Oh uh, well, maybe they just were, they, they maybe they weren't cheating. It. Maybe they were just not fasting. I think they were very hungry. Yeah. No, I think sometimes they got quite hungry because well. they were really doing a lot of activity they were right marching and all standing day for long hours in the cold from morning until night i mean i think when you fast you're supposed to take it easy I, but they didn't they didn't take it easy yeah. at all uh I there was a very i don't fault them for having a little bite every now and then but they didn't most of them did not most, most of, of them, them were having i mean they did have like they had juices miso soup they they um they drank um, um, fiber okay. in order to keep the system going. When yeah. I when I first got there, it was funny. They were talking about the problems of fasting and what can happen when you're fasting. This was at the beginning of the week when they had just started on Sunday. One lady was saying, you know, it's like I'm having some evacuation problems. Um, and they did it very, very openly. And they said, got to drink a lot of water. Drink a lot of water. Keep drinking water. But you can't just drink water. You have to get some fiber, some, some fiber yeah. and, and some sugars into your body and some salts. They talked about how as your body is like getting rid of the toxins when you're fasting, it also gets rid of like foul smells that your body has. Right. And so I heard you talking that about that. The first two days that I was there. It was the first two days that that happens. Yeah. After that, maybe I just got used to it. But it's but from I mean, their breath, right? The breath was really bad. I mean, I mean, I sometimes have bad breath, but they were br- they were warned brush your teeth because yeah. you're going to be putting out a lot of wow 
And, and one young man who I spoke with, he smelled that first day that I talked to him. I got very close to him. He smelled like a cigarette. Uh, um, Was he cigarette a smoker? Butts. He must have been a smoker. I guess. He just exuded like an ashtray. And smell. that's because all the toxins were being released I think so. from his body. I think so. Sweet it's interesting. guy. Sweet guy. You could tell they were suffering. I kept asking them, how are you doing? And they were all very, you know, bright and, 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 um, and, and upbeat. The last protest day was Friday. That's the big protest day, January 11th, when Guantanamo opened. And that was the anniversary. Anniversary. It opened right. in 2002, January 11th. And every year since 2007, they've been going to Washington, I thought it was 2005. DC. Well, they went to Cuba in 2005. Um, they went to Guantanamo. They, okay, and then in 2007. And they okay. started a fast okay. there. They couldn't get onto the Got base. Yeah. Uh, but it, they, they talk about how the Cuban uh, population in the area helped them out right. uh, through, through their fast. And then they went back again in 2010, I think, to Cuba. Oh, they did. But from 2007 until you know this, this couple weeks ago, they've been protesting in Washington, getting arrested, marching around the city in orange jumpsuits in single file with right. black hoods over their heads. Um, they do other actions as well. Well, they, they do the march, but then they also do other actions. I right. mean, if you go on the Witness Against Torture website, website. you could see them. When um, I was with them, they did an action in front of the Supreme Court. Four of them were arrested for that action. And I, have, I, I had one very interesting conversation with Cheryl, who spent um, two, two days, one night, two days in lockup in uh, the central prison in Washington, D.C. And, and that that's, sounds that's like all an coming awful up. place. That's, yeah. that's going to come up. So, what about what was it like for you? How did how did you? Um, what was um, I don't know. What was interesting? What was boring? What was? I was never bored, not for one second. Yeah. Not for one second. These are very unusual people. These are not normal people. These are people that their joy almost is to suffer. And I know that sounds kind of sick, but it's not. Um, they see something in the world that is really wrong, a lot of things. Their focus is at Guantanamo, but they're also protesting the children that were killed in Yemen right. when Saudi uh, planes dropped American bombs on this bus, and 36 Yemeni children were killed. So they, they feel the pain of the world. They have to do something about it, even if nobody notices it. Right. Um, I can imagine that it's not a joy necessarily, but maybe a release. Yeah. of the pain that they're feeling for these people? Um, that they're it, doing yeah. something? That they're doing something, and maybe the, the Guantanamo prisoners who feel very isolated in their non-judicial place because no, no one is prosecuting them. They're persecuting them, but not prosecuting right. them. So Mike, who we spoke with on this program that's coming up from Kentucky, he said that he's always in a, in a continual frozen joy a frozen joy. Wow. Um, when he's when he's here and doing these actions. You know, I think when, when he's when he's thinking about what you know what what's going on. Cheryl, who I um, was in lockup overnight. Um, she was in lockup. Yeah, she was in lockup. She said, uh, "This is Cheryl," um, and again, you can hear what she had to say about being uh, arrested and in central uh, prison in Washington D.C. She says she lives with joy and sorrow. Um, and she holds both of them within her at the same time, both joy and sorrow at the same right, time. Yeah. These are different kinds of people. These are not normal people. Chris uh, Brandt, who I met, um, he's kind of dedicated his life, but all these people have dedicated their life right. to protest, almost silent protest. 
because when I was there, no one, hardly anyone knew what they were doing. I would go up to people that were, you know, they would look and they'd see these line of yellow, orange jumpsuits. And I'd say, do you, do you know who these people are? And they'd say, no, I don't know what they are. And I'd say, they're protesting Guantanamo. Oh, Guantanamo's still there? Do you know about Guantanamo? Sometimes they said yes, sometimes they didn't. Wow. No media coverage, very small crowds. Right. And I was exhausted at the end of it, and I wasn't fasting. I wasn't eating much because, you know, I was with them all the time, and they and weren't were, eating. And, and I, you were busy. And I was busy, and I felt kind of guilty eating. It's I, not like when they're all marching down in their orange jump shoes. You can, you can say, hey, guys, can we, like, go over to this uh, hamburger yeah. joint over here? Let's take a break. Yeah. Let's take a break. Every morning they start with a circle, and it started with maybe 20 on Tuesday and grew to about 50 on, on Friday, which is where the big... The big event happened. The big protests happened. They would talk about what are we going to do? What are we going to do today? And there'd be complex conversations. No one ever got angry. Everyone listened to everything that was going on. And eventually they came up with some consensus. It was, um, I've heard uh, Occupy Wall Street uh, was run, in which there was no leaders. Um, it, was, it was all done by committee. It was all done by consensus. Um, it was the most democratic um, organi- organization I've ever seen. Right. And I've, I've had to you know, guide people to make decisions. It's very difficult. They made those decisions over time. Everyone had as much time as they wanted to say whatever they wanted to say, no matter how long they were there. Uh, you mentioned that to me a few times. Yeah. Maybe that would be the most interesting part for you and, and or one of the most interesting parts, that there was such a cohesive group of people that were doing, they were dedicating themselves to this, this effort. They certainly were of one mind. Yeah. They were of one mind. They were very different people. And if you listen to this series and, of right. course, the show that's coming up, um, which we did at the Iron Horse Tap Room in Washington, D.C., right. uh, you get a sense of the voices. They're very intelligent. Right. Um, they're sane. I would say they're probably the sanest people I've ever met. When Before coming to this, I was thinking, you know, that these people were perhaps like zealots, and I think they are in a way, but oh, I was afraid that they might dedicated. be, um, you know, somehow not intelligent and not um, uh, interesting, but just kind of, you know, I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking, but I didn't expect the people that I met because they were wonderful. Yeah. They were loving. They were present. They were very intelligent. And they were normal. They were just And they were normal. Yeah, yeah, they were normal. Yeah. Friday was the big event. It was the longest day. The orange-suited line uh, went to a couple of conferences. We went to New America. We went to a conference that was run by Amnesty International. Then they went to the White House, spent a long time in the White House. Um, And then we stood in front of the Trump Plaza, the old post office. We stood over the um, central prison of Washington, D.C. It was a long, long day. Um, One woman, uh, Ellen, uh, an older lady, was having hip problems. She fell down in the orange suit. Um, And she, she was walking all day. In the in the lineup in front of the wa- in front of the White House, the the orange suits were standing in one place for about forty minutes, just standing in one place. Have you stood in one place for forty oh minutes? Oh no, that's the it's worse to stand than to walk. Right, I and know I, that from my waitressing days. And as I watched Ellen standing in the lineup as the program was proceeding in front of the White House, she was leaning, she was leaning and leaning and leaning because she was having a hip problem, and she did not complain. She stayed in the. She stayed there 
you know, and um, with the black hood on, cold. I mean, it was a cold day. Right. So I could walk around. I could kind of jump up and down, and I right. did. She was just standing there with everybody else. Um, and then on the walk back, it looked like she couldn't take it anymore, and they said, please, Ellen, sit down, sit down. She sat down for two seconds, and she saw the line of orange suits leaving her. She jumped up and she says, no, I can't. I have to be with them. I have to be with them. That's amazing. These are wonderful people who are not thinking of themselves in the sense that they, they, they want these other people, these 40 men, that's who it's about. These 40 men to know that there's someone out there thinking about there's them. There's someone that cares. Right, right. Chris, you met Chris. Yes. He said, we've already won. And I think what he meant was that, you know, just by doing this, as individuals, as a community, they won by being there and doing something. But he also said he wanted to apologize to Jyoti. Now, Jyoti's is a young lady who has joined them. But here's a young person who is inheriting this world. And he needs to apologize to her for the world that mm. he helped to create because we're in this world. Yes. Even though he's trying to do something. So, I mean, these are, these are smart people. And I urge people... Uh, Barcrawl uh, radio listeners to listen to this series and to learn about this issue. To learn about this issue, but it's a horrible. Lot, a lot of a lot of the issues. The United States, as wonderful we, as wonderful as we like to think it is, and in many ways it is. We're a wonderful people, but also we are, we're a troubled sort. Yes, we are. We are a troubled sort, and so we're Barcrawl Radio, Five Napkin uh, Restaurant on 84th Street. And Broadway, a very nice restaurant. And we Everyone's friendly. We're, 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 we're heading, heading to, to Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. And the next, the next sound you hear will be the sound of Iron Horse Tap Room. It was a raucous night that night. It was. There was a game going on. There was a football game going on. Yeah. But we, we did a bar crawl radio with Witness Against Torture. And, uh, Might have been a basketball game. Not sure. Yep. Well, here we go. Um, sort of signal us, or, or do we just jump in? Yes. Do we take a stack? Popping peas. <laughs> popping this is a pretty peas. good popping screen. Because he has to go peas. through the tape right. and take, take all those off. popping peas. Well, this is pretty cool. <laughs> popping peas. Popping You're going to have to. <laughs> yeah. I think this is cool. Yeah. This is the coolest thing I've done in a long time. Yeah. <laughs> but this sounds like uh, such an exciting block. vibe behind our voices. I know. Huh? It is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, we're this really, is really This is really cool. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, look at us. We never do cool things. kind of like, I feel look like I'm on Star of, Trek. Look at four of us. Okay, Rebecca? Oh, this no, is so I, I'm sorry. I beg to differ. I think what you guys did this past week was really, really cool. very cool. Very cool. Very cool. Is this angle good? I thought this is kind of handy. With the this is Bar Crawl Radio, and we are sitting in the Iron Horse Tap Room in Washington, D.C. The White House and Congress are a brief walk from here. And we are talking with the organizers and members of the social activist organization called Witness Against Torture. So, here we go.
witness against torture, worked since 2005 to close down the 17-year-old military prison in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. And I'm Alan Winston. It's Saturday evening and it's snowing outside. I've been living with the WAT since Tuesday in the First Trinity Lutheran Church Hostel on E and 4th Street. The Watt members here at the BCR Mics have been fasting since Sunday. They broke their fast last night, and that was uh, pretty awesome. And I've been talking with them and following them as they protest and are arrested for acts of civil disobedience. For this show, we'll be unpacking their experience of the last week, asking about where they're going from here. And I'm joined by my podcasting partner, Rebecca McKean, and we're on the bottom floor of the Iron Horse Tap Room Bar. Everyone has a drink, right? Yes. Yep. Everyone's uh, tanked up. Yeah. And I well, think not it's... yet. All right. You, you're starting <laughs> to get tanked up. Thank you, Chris. And I think it's time to start this special bar crawl radio episode. I think this is really special. Joining us for this conversation are four members of Witness Against Torture. Josie Seltzer is a retired chemistry professor and she now identifies herself as a peace and justice activist. She resides in Fremont, Ohio. Christopher Hirschman Brandt is a theater professor at Fordham College in New York City. He's an actor and translator with the Medicine Show Theater in Manhattan. Michael Fiala is a retired professor and a volunteer with the Cleveland Catholic Worker. And Paulette Schrader is a Franciscan sister residing in Tiffin, Ohio. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Bar Crawl Radio. Hey, thanks. Hi, Alan. <laughs> Hi. So I, I haven't been here all week. I've uh, heard a lot about it. Got saw some pictures. It's pretty amazing. So can any one of you just tell me a bit about this Witness Against Torture or organization? What are the goals? Um, and how are you working to accomplish those goals? Maybe we start with Josie. Witness Against Torture was organized way back in 2005 when uh, Guantanamo was still pretty new. In several years, we the uh, we were hearing about uh, torture that was happening there, and so people organized to go visit Guantanamo in Cuba. A very dicey thing to do back then. And since then, uh, many many people have joined Witness Against Torture over the years to ask. To, to demand that the government close Guantanamo, end torture, end indefinite detention without charge and trial. And we come to Washington every January during the week that is the anniversary of the opening of Guantanamo on January 11, 2002. So that means, when I say the opening, I mean the day the first prisoners arrived. It has been 17 years and uh, there are 40 men still there and uh, some of them have been there 17 years. So we come back again, here we are. So Chris, how about you? What are some of the goals of the organization? The ultimate goal? The ultimate goal. Let's change this world to be a, 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 a truly humane place where we can support each other rather than compete with each other, where we can help each other up instead of beat each other down. I like the sign this week, Who Are We? Yeah. yeah. I think that was great. We have, to, we have to acknowledge, first of all, the first thing we have to do as Americans is acknowledge Americans. Even, even that word is the wrong word. 
all the people in this hemisphere are Americans. We are Usians, okay? I'm a Usian. I've been trying to come up with what we are. We're United Statesians. Yeah. <laughs> or you said Usians. A Usian. I'm a Usian, for short. Which sounds kind of like Asian, <laughs> <laughs> which we may be soon. Uh, we're already okay. were because we go that direction. <laughs> uh, but the first thing we have to do is is own our own history, and we don't even know our own history. We have to know that torture has been a part of the American experience from the very beginning. Uh, whether it was of Native Americans or of slaves brought from Africa or of prisoners in our prisons or of the mentally disabled whom we wrapped in cold sheets and threw in dark closets to, you know, it goes on and on. In, right. in 1903, there are pictures, photographs of U.S. soldiers waterboarding Moro Philippine rebels. We do torture. What, 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 you know, I, this isn't part of the question, but is there something in the Eurasian, I'm going to call, I'm not going to call American, Eurasian, is it something in our nature that says we're better than the other guy and we're allowed to torture? What, what is it that is so much a part of our history? Um, I, think, I think this white supremacy is a good part of who the United States is. We are empire. We have always been empire since our founding. Um, we um, have, I mean, I remember back, I don't remember, but I studied uh, Teddy Roosevelt, you know, with this manifest destiny that we were allowed to take other peoples into our, our control. And the fact that we think, I mean, I don't know that we've ever had any real onslaught against us. 9-11 was possibly one of the closest things that we have experienced in our nation uh, to know what other peoples have been experiencing with bombs and with so many of our instruments of torture. Um, I personally worked in Palestine. I've seen it in Gaza. I've seen the military occupation of Israel of, on, on Palestine. Uh, just control people's lives, thinking that somehow I, it's self-investment. It's self-investment. It's greed. It's saying we want to be powerful along with the other. We want to keep the other nations powerful who we think we have an interest in or who can help us somehow stay number one. Um, so this idea of America first is anathema to your view of the world. Uh, of course. Yeah. America, I mean, the United States first. I mean, you're not, you know, Yuzian first. Yes. Yuzian yeah. first. Yeah, uh, uh, of course, like, like Chris was saying. You know, we want a world, we dream of a world where everybody's rights are uh, respected. Everybody. There is no first, second, third. There are, we are a, a, a global community. That's right. How about you, Mike? You, did you fast this week? Yes, I spent uh, the past five days fasting. So, I guess I would go back to the core mission of Watts, okay. which is to connect with the 40 men in Guantanamo Bay Prison to uh, do everything in our power to have um, them released, um, to be acknowledged for the crimes we've committed against them, 
and that the core aspect of Watt is really not only their release, but to make a deep connection into who, what's happening to them, bring that to the forefront of all our consciousness and all those who are unaware of what's happening. A large part of what that means is um, hearing their voices, and we have really highlighted the voices of the men who are in Guantanamo. Pictures, the stories they've said, um, the things they share with uh, their lawyers, those voices are at the forefront of the connection. So what we partly do is we make a deep connection among ourselves while we fast. And those men know we're fasting and they know... They do that, know? Yes. And so that, in one form, that kind of connection, that personal connection, is one of the most powerful parts of what we do. But not only do we have that, we have the other part of we're out in the streets, we're making that at the forefront. We walk down the streets in the orange jumpsuits with the hoods on that represent the core aspects of what the U.S. has done to those men, made them, dehumanize them, and we want to rehumanize or make them fundamental, their human component of aspects of their life. They have families. They are brothers and sisters. Uh, they are brothers to and have family members. They have parents, children, and they're human beings like us. No one should have any aspect of that kind of treatment. Never charged. I can go on sort of at a litany of injustices that if you are become aware of, you, any human being would recognize immediately this injustice. And so we try to bring that to the forefront, their voices. Are there terrorists in Guantanamo Bay? No one knows because they have never been allowed to have charges brought against them or a trial in a United States court of justice. Of course, court of injustice might be more accurate, but they, 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 they haven't been allowed to present evidence or hear evidence or even hear the charges against them. This is, this is counter to every aspect of who we think we are as Americans our constitution, our declaration of independence. Our high ideals. Our high ideals, which we have betrayed over and over and over again. Uh, I, I, I wonder if someone could address the question of, without a trial, how do we get a um, fairness or justice for the victims of 9-11 without a, without a trial? Josie. There are several that do have charges uh, perhaps maybe seven or eight in a military commission format, and that is not a federal court. Now, the military commissions were created back in maybe 2006, and I suspect that the idea was that the United States government was worried that the torture that these men had undergone would make it difficult for them to bring charges against them in a U.S. federal court, where the the evidence would be tainted by that torture and would not be allowed to be brought forth. They, I think they're hoping that in the military commissions they can get past that. But guess what? It's 2019 now. That was 2006. They haven't been successful. The only time they have, uh, have resolved a case was with one plea deal. There might be a, have been one conviction. I don't know. 
but the rest of them, it just goes on and on and on. There are people, attorneys going down there, there are military attorneys working this out with these judges, but there's constantly problems. They're inventing this criminal justice system all over again instead of using the federal courts. Um, and this, and problem. And this brings, not only does it never give a chance of justice to any of the men who are incarcerated in Guantanamo, but it gives no, no justice, no sense of closure to the, to the people who were affected, directly affected by 9-11. Uh, the most moving thing to me at the at the demonstration at the White House was the two young women whose father had been killed at, at in the Trade Center on 9/11, and they spoke out against the the ridiculousness of this whole thing that gives brings them no closure, no sense of justice. And, and, and we do want to talk about the demonstrations that were put forward by, by WAT this week. Paulette, you want to say well, something? Well, I want to say something first. We, we have to remember, too, that all, all these men in Guantanamo are Muslim. Right. And, yes. and it's ironic to me that there were 780 of these men, many of them brought over because bounty was offered to bring after 9-11. To bring these men over, suspected terrorists, suspected terrorists. Eighty-six percent, eighty-six percent of the men in Guantanamo over time were there as a result of bounty. So who are they really? I've, I've looked at your website. I've, I've heard some of the testimony. So can you give me kind of an idea of what you know about some of the men? Yeah, who I, are I, they? And I'd like to hear specifically about specific people yeah. that are over there that you know of, because I know you know them. You know some of them. Shakir Amir, who was released, is from England, family man whose baby, I think, was born, last baby, was born after he was captured. Um, he's a, a, such a brilliant man. Andy Worthington has found cause to work and work and work to get him released, and he was finally released. And who's Andy Worthington? Um, I, I don't know his background very well. Andy Worthington is a, is a Brit who was kept, was taken by the, the injustices of this whole thing, as we were, and began working for the release of British nationals who were held in Guantanamo, and Shakar Amir was one of them. And Shakar Amir has been released. Yes, uh, but there are, I understand there are five prisoners that have been deemed Cleared. Cleared, not, not a, a, any... Um, a For eight years. Cleared that it means that it would be safe to release them. They, yeah, as long as eight years ago. And it's by a, 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 a tri-bureau of, of the what? The military. Many. Homeland Security. Many agencies of the, yes, exactly, I, of right. the U.S. government the US that government. are involved with the military and the security. So they've yes. been vetted. These men have been vetted, been and vetted. they said, they're clear, let them go. That's yes. right. And yet they're still sitting there. Why? That's right. Why? Yeah. It's the military. <laughs> well, and it's also some congressional restrictions placed on their release. Congress says you've got to prove that X, Y, and Z are not going to happen when they're released. Then there's problems with the that, countries that um, 
At this point, after all these years, there are countries that don't want to receive them. I can give you an example if you'd like. I'd like that, yes. Um, there were Chinese Uyghurs, that's spelled U-I-G-H-U-R-S, and they are Muslims who, in China, who were greatly persecuted by the Chinese government. So some of them fled, and some of them fled to Afghanistan. And guess what? They happened to flee there right when, um, right after 9-11, when, when we began the war on terror in October, I believe, it, yes, of 2002. Now, these people don't even know that they have strayed into this, this perilous situation. And then they got swept up. How do people like that get swept up? Well, um, Paulette already already referred to the bounty. There were leaflets, leaflets dropped by airplane over poor Afghanistan villages. And these are strangers to the and to and, and you know you can get five thousand dollars. Well, you don't you don't you know turn in your brother or your brother-in-law, hopefully, but you do tr uh, you could turn in someone you don't know, strangers that are in town. Like who are they? And I can get five thousand dollars. So. You know, that's a ridiculous way to try to protect the American people. And even, even if they were turned in, what you normally do in war is that you would vet them then after they were turned in near the theater of war within months to decide was this, you know, uh, legit or bogus and release them. But no, they were swept off to Guantanamo where the American government thought that if we put them on an, in an offshore prison that is not actually American soil, we can get the truth from them um, without regard to our constitutional guarantees of law, international law, anything else. So what happened to the Uyghurs, they, it didn't take long for the Bush administration to figure out, oh, well, whoops, we shouldn't have captured them. Then where do they send them? If they send them back to China, they could be killed. Afghanistan doesn't want them, but who should take them? Well, the United States ought to take them, right? Yeah. So and there this was is a community. An embarrassment. It's an embarrassment, it's and and mm -hmm. I, right in the first year of the Obama administration, one of his aides was a ranger who was tasked with with making these releases happen, found a, a Uyghur community right here in the D.C. area in Virginia that said, "Yes, we'll take them, we'll take care of them, you know, sponsor these like refugees. They kind of are. We'll, we'll you know, we we'll resettle them." For some political reason, that was not allowed. And they sat there for many more years. They have been released now, though that particular group has been, and I cannot tell you right now, I'd have to look it up, where they went to. To Bermuda. Is that right? Did they Thank really? you, Chris. And this is to another Bermuda. sadness that Chris could. Wow. wow, what would it be like to go to Bermuda, Chris? Uh, from, I don't know. I mean, I can only imagine from inland China to an island in the middle of the Atlantic. That, that sounds like an amazing follow-up. <laughs> There's so, the problem. That. Some of them went, yeah. To places so, so some of these people, these men, who went to various places didn't know the language of the people, so they were alone. Uh, I think in South America, in Argentina, or I think it was Argentina, uh, four guys, they were all alone. Um, and I, I want to stress, too, that these men released to a different country, uh, far away from their families, so still punished for having done nothing. Uh, these men often say that they experience trauma and trauma and trauma. Uh, continue on. Uh, Guantanamo does not go away. It, they carry it right with them, so much of what has happened there. Now, what, what, one of your actions that you that uh, Witness Against Torture has is to get arrested for violating some un, ununderstandable laws. And I wondered if you could talk about some, um, maybe one of the most significant actions, maybe the one for the Supreme Court. Were you there, Mike? I was. 
Oh, um, yeah. So um, we were highlighting and raising up the people of Yemen, as well as the nine men who were uh, who died at Guantanamo Bay Prison. So think about nine men who never got to be um, with their families and dying at Guantanamo. So we had a die-in in front of the Supreme Court of those nine men, as well as uh, I think 34 uh, backpacks, blue backpacks, representing uh, the children who were bombed with a Lockheed 500-pound bomb um, this uh, past, I believe, was it uh, August? Um, That's right. So Voices with creative, for Creative Nonviolence, Kathy Kelly and Brian Terrell were with us for this whole week. They had started earlier for a week-long fast in New York City, and so they came down to join us. And so in front of um, the Supreme Court, we highlighted those two connections that um, in the Middle East, not only have we taken men and put them in Guantanamo Bay prison and tortured them and nine of them died, but also we uh, support war crimes and war atrocities in Yemen um, by continuing to fund uh, that war by um, selling them the bombs that are killing their people. Uh, I've, I've been embedded with you. I know Paula wants to say something. Well, just with, with uh, especially with Saudi Arabia, who is one of our allies, and, and with the UAE, uh, who were, I think, most directly associated with dropping the bomb. Yeah, I, 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 and it, it's, all ama it's, it's, it's all too much to take. I, I wondered, one of the things that I got from being with you this week was some little tidbits of information that humanizes this whole thing. And one of the things that I heard was that in the backpacks of these children, and we're talking about 10, 11, 12-year-old children, and these uh, children were blown to bits. I mean, literal body bits. But in the backpacks that they were carrying in there, I heard <laughs> that us. there were that there were medical supplies there. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, I guess some first food aid. and first aid mm -hmm. that was in their backpacks. I forgot who who made this testimony. Maybe it, it was one of well, the panels who were. Maybe Kathy did. I think they got Kathy it from Kelly. UNICEF. These were the, the day before. Right. Imagine and and that the the image UNICEF. is of these children rejoicing that they have first aid. I can imagine I'm a child. I've got the first. I got a backpack. I've got this first aid in my backpack. I'm going to go home with my to my family. Look what I got, Mom and Dad. Look what I got. Kathy said they were excited. Yeah. Look what I got. Mm -hmm. And then out of the sky, an American, a Yuzian bomb. Balls. And there was a there was a photograph of a little boy, eight-year-old boy, who had survived that attack. And that his eyes had seen into the blackness of of horror. It, it was a very moving photograph. Do you know where we can see that? I don't. I don't know what I, I saw it online somewhere. Yeah. I think. Yeah, we should look at those pictures. Yeah, we and should. I've come inured to them. And 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 own the fact that. It was our corporation, Lockheed Martin, American, number one in the world, et cetera, that made that bomb. And I'd like to add that um, arms sales to Saudi Arabia need to be approved by Congress, and Congress 
is looking at bills about Yemen right now, but they are not talking about restricting arms sales to uh, Saudi Arabia, and that's what we ought to be doing. We, we need to stop selling these arms that are being used to kill and maim people, and uh, Congress is not stepping up to the plate on that. They are, yeah. So it must be difficult protesting against the government. <laughs> yeah. Not anymore. Is that, is that a, you know, isn't that our duty, though, as citizens in a democracy to speak up? It is hard for people. I understand that. But isn't that our duty? Well, I would also forefront communities of resistance, period. That in the long history of what the U.S. has done requires a communities of resistance and, and ones that are sustainable. And in some form, Watt has created a sustainable community of resistance that also supports, you know, smaller communities of smaller communities are a part of that larger uh, Watt community of resistance, and that's in some sense we all draw the energy and power from our own communities, and then we bring that to um, to Washington D.C. to focus ourselves on one of the fundamental. Examples of what we do as a country by torturing and then holding men in, in indefinite detention. And, 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 and then yeah. we also then. Oh, oh Alan, I wanted to say. Yeah, Paulette, um, please. You know, I don't think any. Paulette, by the way, I've fallen in love with you. Oh, <laughs> oh wow. I <laughs> can tell my wife is here. Members. Oh, my gosh. And it is You're mutual. Wonderful. It is mutual. <laughs> <laughs> well, Alan, I wanted to say that I don't think any of our people in, in the United States really love violence, really love torture, really love what uh, our, our, our Congress and our president are doing in the name of all of us. And so, uh, and most people don't know it. So we try to take this energy and this passion and all of this back to our own people and try to ignite more voices, more voices, more voices, so that this collective um, voice can move our senators and our, our representatives, our president, to listen, to listen. I mean, there's no other way. Uh, it has to come from the grassroots. So people have to be empowered. And, and know their role in all of this. Yeah, and Rebecca, when you asked, uh, isn't it difficult demonstrating against the government? The reason I laughed so hard at, at that question is because it's difficult for me to imagine not demonstrating <laughs> against the state apparatus, not the government. The government's the fire department and the cops and so forth, and that, that's necessary stuff. But the state apparatus, the CIA, the School of the Americas, the... Defense. Yeah, all of that stuff. And the corporations, because the state and the corporations have become, well, not exactly the same thing, but the, the corporations have taken over the state in most of the industrialized nations. Now. Okay, but let's, let's be... You, you guys are always honest. I, I know that. <laughs> I, I got that sense. But sometimes you tend to be a little kumbaya. About, yeah, man. <laughs> yeah, and I think maybe you have to be. But I was talking to Cheryl, and I've heard this kind of um, resonate throughout the week, is that there is a toll taken on the body, on the soul, on the spirit, um, when you do this kind of thing. And you guys have been doing it for a decade and a half, and some of you have been doing it your whole life. What I'm, I mean, uh, Cheryl said, who was one of the, one, uh, what, said, 
you know, that she, it's hard for her to sometimes find joy. That's the role of community that we believe in so much. We couldn't do that if we didn't um, have a community and actually foster that community, nurture it, which is what we do when we come together here. And I, I, I want to tell you a story. You noticed on the stage that there is, there are two, there's a big cutout. This is the stage in the hostel at the First Lutheran Trinity Church. Thank you. Yes. yes. Right. <laughs> there is a big cutout of Daniel Berrigan, who is our prophet and mentor and guru. In the middle of the night, I would like go to the bathroom. I turn around, there's this guy <laughs> standing on the stage. Daniel it took Berrigan. me a second to remember who yeah. it was. <laughs> he was a, a, a famous Vietnam War era protester, a priest. The, the, the picture has him in handcuffs, flashing a peace sign the best he can with his, his hand. And um, I was um, turned into an activist by Daniel Berrigan, literally when he came to Toledo, Ohio, and spoke to us in 2002 as the Congress was approving the idea, you know, approving that the president could go to war with Iraq if he if wanted to. And what Daniel Berrigan said was, somebody asked him, well, what do we do? You know, everybody feels so, so... Powerless. Uh, powerless, thank you. You know, you can sit behind your computer screen, you can click a petition, you could call your congressman, you whatever. Donate. And then you, you just get gloomier and, and more and more depressed. He said, you must find a community. You have to do peacemaking out of community. And I was very disturbed, I was distressed right then by the march to war. And I left that place and said to myself, who is my community? And then I had to find my community. And first, Paulette and I founded a community in Tiffin, Ohio, together because of Paulette's leadership by protesting in front of the courthouse in a town of 20,000 people before the Iraq war broke out. And then we formed a Pax Christi group, which is a, peace, a peacemaking group, because we said, we've got to stick together. And, it's, and then, you know, little by little, we found this, this group, which has made us grow, you know, strengthened us and made us grow way beyond the boundaries of our little communities. And then we bring it back to them. But community is everything. That's the answer to your question. Together, know where you stand. No more more. Know where you stand and stand and see. Know where you stand. No more war, know where you stand and stand there, know where you stand. And this is Barkwell Radio, we're in Washington, D.C., at the Iron Horse Tap Room Bar, sitting on the bottom floor <laughs> with some really amazing, wonderful people. I have a question. Um, you guys are amazing. You're special. <laughs> And, you know, I know you're not humble. I know you accept that as being special. Oh, you, I mean, because right. I've seen you taking praise. And you're know, like, oh, shucks. No, you, you know you guys are special. You're not. I, we work at it. We, what, what, is we, that, what is that work? That work is, is, is that we remain cognizant of what, of, of what is going on in the world, what part our government has in, in the, the things that are going wrong with the world, with the environment, with war, uh, with police states, and so forth. And we remain aware of that stuff, and then we figure out what to do about it. What can we do? We can't run the country. We can't 
make diplomatic moves and so forth, but we can walk on the streets of Washington, D.C. And, and, and create a kind of street theater that hopefully can be noticed in some way that, that, that can get through people's defenses. All right, so... Wait, Paula, what do you think Well, I, I don't think we're special. I think that we're just trying to be obedient to our heart. And I think... That's special. I have a suggestion. <laughs> I have a suggestion. So Jane Goodall said, and I'm going to paraphrase her very, very badly, when asked at this age still, you know, why do you keep going, you know, why do you keep going to events? Why do you keep, you know, talking to people and making sure you're available? And she said that, and as I say, this is a bad paraphrase, that if you are called to be part of the message, you have to show up. That's great. I'm telling you it's a bad paraphrase, mm -hmm. but she said something like that, which was very moving to me. And that's what I think of you all. And Margaret Mead said, never believe that a small group of like-minded people cannot change the world. Indeed, that is the only thing that ever has. Uh, Mike, you haven't said anything in a while. I know you have thoughts. Yeah, I was thinking about raising up the voice of Mohamedou Slahi, who wrote Guantanamo Diary. And, and what is, well, tell us about it's that. It's the story of how he became imprisoned and what he wrote down while he was in prison and how he apparently, I didn't know this part, built a relationship with his guard who was in the Skyped in um, uh, interview uh, on, well, I guess it was Friday, on January 11th, uh, the 17th anniversary of the opening of Guantanamo. So, at a congressional briefing. At a congressional briefing. So, at, at Amnesty International. Thank you. So, yeah. Mohamedou Sahi, as you read that story, you see a human being who has been put into the system of, that was bizarre, um, made no sense that he would, should ever have been put in Guantanamo, and here he is with his guard in this Skyped-in interview, and his smile um, of Mohamedou is infectious, his embrace of his guard who humanized their own encounter when they were, he was a guard by telling him about American culture. Um, all those things um, break down the sense that somehow anybody is special other than we've been put in these unique circumstances and all of us have those occasions in our life. We all have them. When we are put to the test, are we going to be human or are we going to be unhuman, inhuman and, and humanize ourselves? And so um, Steve Wood, who was that guard, was right with Mohamedou and embracing him in that interview. And so Mohamedou is the example. Here's the, here's the man who has suffered the worst kind of torture, and he embraces us and calls us to embrace our ideas of democracy and, and justice and saying, I was treated unjustly, but I'm not going to hate you. I'm calling you to your own ideas. Yeah, it breaks my heart, and I am. My heart's been broken all week, and so shredded. And that, that's why I say, I mean, your hearts—you live with this all the time. It must take a and toll. To have your heart broken. So, but that actually is the experience of what brings life: learning to weep when there is a time to weep, and learning to um, have great joy, which we also have when we ended our fast. It was 
such joy to enjoy that camaraderie and eating at the same time. So um, I don't see these things as special beyond the, the, the core sense that we all are challenged to be human in an inhuman situation. And Mohamedou rose up to the occasion, and I can understand how hard it could have been. And when he greeted us at the end of that, that, that uh, moment, the smile on his face was to be treasured forever. The smile was as wide as the Atlantic Ocean. There was no hate there. No hate. No, I mean, I, I saw a person who was very intelligent, yeah. uh, who was very present to the moment, and, and though he wasn't with us, he was present to us. Yes, he was. Right. And he was especially present when uh, a Muslim woman, who's connected with you all, uh, gave a statement. Did anyone talk about her? That's Maha Halal, who is uh, the director of Justice for Muslims Collective here in Washington, D.C., and planned um, a panel Thursday night and then participated in the congressional briefing and did a beautiful job. But yes, that must have been heartening to him. She said that sometimes they feel that their own community is not really supporting them. Yeah. Paul, do you want to? Well, uh, yes. Just a uh, uh, half a minute. Okay, so Guantanamo has kind of been forgotten. There is, here's 40 men languishing whose lives are pretty well doomed unless we really, really speak up. So we're asking everyone to do something. Something. And what, and what if we don't speak up? What does that say about who we are? Well, I think it might express ignorance. It might express... Um, people feeling just too busy or they're too far away. So I want to give them a little leash. But I also think it might mean they're Muslims. They're Muslims. and, and um, Back to the white supremacy. Yeah, back to the white supremacy. Yeah. Um, we're kind of finishing up here with... with uh, we're not finishing up. I mean, obviously we have a lot to do. Starting. Where, where does starting. this finish up? Where does this... I mean, the finish is Guantanamo closes. It doesn't. It doesn't. If, if Guantanamo closes, unfortunately, I mean, I'm sorry, but there's going to be something else. Yeah. Yeah. Unless we change our hearts. I.F. Stone said all governments lie. All governments also commit atrocities. We have to stand against them. Yeah. Uh, you know, I wish I could live long enough for that world <laughs> in, which that, in which that happens. <laughs> Yeah. In which that wonderful anarchy that you believe in. Oh, we gotta believe happens. in it. We gotta believe in it. Yeah. Yeah. They're our brothers. Any, any, um, all right, predictions. When is Guantanamo closing? <laughs> well, I want to tomorrow that in our imaginations, <laughs> which we sometimes only give short shrift to, in the vision of hope, when you connect with those men, you are breaking down those, those bars and making a connection. Freeing them, we don't have that kind of power. But what I would like to imagine is that the congressional people that we engaged on, I think it was Thursday, that they would start to open their hearts to this, this war crime, holding them, and that that would start to move their hearts. And that's how people get transformed. And we need to raise our voices. And so that's where the, the legwork... And by the way, these brave people went into McConnell's office 
with their orange jumpsuits. By the way, we didn't talk about the orange jumpsuits right. with the black hoods. No, we that, did earlier. Okay. I, I wanted to ask, do they really wear orange? Was it representative? Was yeah. it, oh, yes. Do they really wear orange jumpsuits? They, on, on their way over, they were um, bound. They were hooded. They were dressed in, in orange, I think. Blindfolded, sensory and deprived, put in on every the floor way. of the airplane, not knowing where they were going. Were any of you arrested in this this week? I was not. No, we were not. No, but there were nine. There were nine. Five, five, five one day and four yeah. the next. Uh, and and yeah. uh, I have interviewed to you all, all of you throughout the week, and there will be further ball crawl radio episodes uh, featuring this uh, week at Witness Against Torture here in Washington, D.C., covering um, the, all the events that, that you have created and the tableaus that you've created. Uh, I want to thank you. Rebecca wants to thank you Absolutely. for uh, coming and joining us here at the, uh, where are we, at the Iron Horse Iron, Tap Iron Room. Horse. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't drinking. know where we are. <laughs> and, and thank you for trying to get all this information out to the public oh, because it's, it's so important. It's so important, and we'll never get it all out, but maybe we get started. And get people interested. Thank you all. Thank you. You're Thank, welcome. You, Alan. Thank you, Alan. Thank you, Alan. Thank you, Alan. We're going to try to bring in some other voices now uh, of uh, Witness Against Torture. Um, and uh, we'll just take a short break and do that in a minute. For 30 seconds. We are not afraid. This is going to be a free-flowing conversation. Uh, we have nothing planned. We're going to see, see where it goes, all right? Uh, I'll, I'll do a little introduction, and then I'll ask you to introduce yourselves, um, and then we'll come up with some questions and, okay. see, and see where it goes, all right? I'm, I'm really interested in knowing your relationship to Witness, witness Against Torture. So when you introduce yourself, you can, you can do that, okay? This is Bar Crawl Radio. We're at the Iron Horse Taproom Bar uh, for a very special edition of Bar Crawl Radio. Uh, we're with uh, four more members of the Witness Against Torture. They just completed a week-long protest, a week-long or more fast, a liquid fast. I have been embedded with them for since Tuesday, uh, following them, inspired by them, and uh, I, I, I want to talk to four more WAT members, and I'm asking you to introduce yourselves, please. And what is your connection to WAT, Witness Against Torture? My name is Cheryl Hogan, and I started coming to the protests when they first started in 2007. So I keep trying to do the math. I think it's about 11 years that I've been coming here. My name is Don, Don Cunning. I'm from uh, New Jersey. Uh, this is my fourth year with WAT. I consider myself a foot shoulder, shoulder, <laughs> soldier, <laughs> excuse me. You know, you have somebody, you have the people that want to be in charge, and they are in charge, and that's a good thing. And I know my limits, so I do what, will do what I can within myself. And, and, and let's, and we'll talk about what you did this week. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hi. Is this good volume? Okay. No, you're good. Um, my name is Herb Garrity. This is actually my first year with Witness Against Torture. Um, I work with a group called Rehumanize International, and we have been following Witness Against Torture for years. Um, and it wasn't until we met Josie, who you guys heard from, um, 
and she explained to us this week of fasting and action and we knew we had to send someone and I have been wanting to go for the past couple of years so I'm really excited that I was able to join for a couple of days this year and participate. My name is Helen Sheetinger and I've been working with Witness Against Torture um, since 2007 just like Cheryl and I have been I guess I've been an, an organizer with Witness Against Torture in a very active way for the past few years. Why, why are you doing this? Because torture is wrong. Torture in, its, in and of itself is wrong, and that's enough reason to speak out. Herb, you were shaking your head. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. I think for me, uh, the most important part of what Witness Against Torture does is just awareness raising. Because in this current political climate, torture isn't on the agenda. Um, I don't think it was ever mentioned in any of the 2016 presidential debates. It's not something that you know is a hot topic right now, although there are 40 men rotting in Guantanamo. I, I know the Guantanamo prisoners were tortured originally by the CIA, and we kind of know about that. But how does that torture continue today? I work with an organization called TASC, the Torture Abolition and Survivor Support Coalition is another group that I volunteer with and I work directly with people who have been tortured and that torture follows them emotionally for the rest of their lives. It is something that comes back in nightmares, it comes back in the same way that, that PTSD follows uh, many of the who come back to the United States. Isn't yeah. just the fact that they were detained for so long, uh, with you know, isn't that torturous in and of itself? Without being charged, just without knowing if they would ever be released? That's our point. That's our point. You yeah. got our point. Right. That's why we demonstrate. Yeah, the, I, the other thing is that some of them are still, some men are still on hunger strike, and they are force-fed, and force-feeding is a form of torture because um, the tube is rammed down their throats, and then and there's through the nose through the nose and then they're strapped to a chair so that they can't vomit their whatever's being put into them so they're kept there for two hours and then and this happens more than once a day and it, you can imagine what it does to the throat to their nasal passages it must be raw all the time and and probably there's no way it can be healthy enough of a diet just through a tube for years what brings each of you individually, personally, to this struggle? Because this, this is not easy. I mean, I had five days of being with you, and I was eating a little bit. You weren't. And you were going out and protesting every day. And this is only one week out of many years that you've been at this. And it must take a toll. What, what keeps you buoyed up? What gives you resilience to keep you going? One thing is the men that are still there. The human beings are suffering every single day for the last 17 years. And they're still there. We can't just turn our backs on them. But, I mean, they're there for all the people here at the bar, too. They're right? And they're not doing anything about it. There's something special about you all that led you to this decision, to this act, to this experience that you're having. Maybe because we allowed ourselves to see these men as human beings and we know they're there and whereas the people at the bar may not have any idea that they're there and if they did they might have been uh, 
taught or told that these are terrorists, uh, that they're less than human, that they deserve what they've got. So what terror? What was it that got you into this? Torture is sort of standard procedure at almost every United States prison. Um, when we talk about things like prolonged solitary confinement, that is internationally considered torture, and that happens at nearly every prison in this country. Um, so for me, I have several friends who are incarcerated, some of whom are serving um, death by incarceration or life without parole sentences. And when I think of them, I, I, these are people I know, these are, are faces I see. Um, and so for me, prison abolition is sort of where I got started in this movement. And learning about Guantanamo, which is sort of prison times 10 or prison times 20 for a lot of these men, um, it just was a natural progression to include Guantanamo and military prisons and CIA black sites within my abolition work. And, and Helen, you've been working like a, I don't know how to describe how much work you must put into this. What inspires you? What ins well, what keeps me going is knowing the importance of being here and also the, 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 the beautiful community that we have become, that we are. This group started from an existing beautiful community of, of uh, peace workers, Catholic workers who went to Cuba in 2005. We're doing essentially what I would have called in my youth guerrilla theater in the streets. We are doing things that uh, spark uh, people's imagination and we're doing it together in a way that makes us feel unified and makes us feel as if we're connected to the men in Guantanamo. And when we've circled, one of the things we've done all week Explain is to sit circle. in circles. What is a circle? Yeah. What is a circle? We gather at least once a day as a group, whether we're five or whether we're 50, and we talk and we share and we center ourselves. I, I was amazed uh, observing this most democratic, most sharing, most equal uh, process that you have created. If anyone wants to see democracy, small democracy work, go, go to a, uh, a Witness Against Torture circle. Every, every idea is respected. People are given as much time as they want, even if you don't have time. Right. right, I could see Helen over there kind of, we've got to get moving here, but you give the person the time. You respect that time. Is it a Christian organization or is this a non-denominational? I was just curious. Non-denominational. So you, non you're open to everyone who wants yes. to join you? It, yes, you don't have to have any faith at all in a, in a whatever. I mean, okay. it, doesn't, it isn't faith-based. It just okay. happens that Catholic workers started it. Uh -huh. by going to Cuba in 2005. I see. Because we're centered in love, really. Thank you. I mean, we really are. Before, before we finish up, and I'm sorry we only have so much time, I want to hear from Don um, about your experience. Um, you were arrested. Um, can you tell us about that? Well, first of all, I'm not the only one who was arrested. Right, we, under, we know that. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I've been arrested before, so... Uh, Basically what we did, we went to the Capitol area in our jumpsuits. And I think they're very uh, impressive when you're walking down in a single file in your jumpsuits. It draws people's attention. So we went into Senator McConnell's office, a large group of us. There must have been about 15 people, most of us in jumpsuits. And we had two demands from the senator, put forth a resolution right now to close Guantanamo 
And the second one, stop funding the Yemen war. And we weren't going to leave your office until you agreed to that. This was about three. And then about four o'clock, everyone except four people left. And we stayed in the office. And the you police told you decided that it, You had decided that ahead of time, that you four would stay? Exactly, right. The rest of the people were not interested in risking arrest. So then uh, uh, about, now it's about five o'clock. And uh, then about 10 to six, the police came to us and said, if you, if you allow us, if you make us arrest you in this office, we will charge you with a, uh, a higher crime. I forget exactly what it was. I heard it was breaking and entering. Yeah, but I think that was a little too much. But anyway, it was going to upgrade. Or you could go in the hall, chant a little bit, and we'll give you three warnings and arrest you for uh, demonstrating in a Senate building, which is against the law, evidently. So we chose that option, and we went out in the hall. And, I, and when we came in the jumpsuits, I had talked to the officer in the hall already before we even went in the office. And I more or less explained to him what we were going to do. And I said, listen, we're not going to cause you any trouble. We're not violent. You don't have to worry about a thing from us. So I, I tried to be very, very nice from the get-go, and I think it worked. So they arrested us, and they're very nice about it. And we are always, thank you, sir, and they're saying, how are you okay, sir? I mean, it's, it's very, very polite. So we're put in a paddy wagon and drove, we were driven just like two blocks. Put in a, and then they processed us. Now, normally you never know what time you're going to get out. Cheryl was arrested, and how long did you spend in jail? I was arrested at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and I got out the next day at 6 o'clock at night. Whereas the four of us, we were arrested at 6 o'clock in the Senate building, and 9.30, we were back at the church. So go figure. Well, they were arrested in the Supreme Court. Action. The government does not like that. It all, it all seems like such a game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know yeah. what it reminds if I might, real quick? It reminds me of a Warner Brothers cartoon I when I was a kid. Yeah. There was the dog, the sheep dog, and there was a the coyote. And, if, you know, the whole cartoon is the coyote's trying to get the sheep, and the sheep dog's trying to stop the coyote. So at the very end, just as the dog has it all over the coyote, the work whistle blows. The dog and the coyote get up and they punch out the clock. And they say, see you tomorrow, Ralph. And Ralph said, yeah, I'll see you tomorrow, Joe. Off they go. So, so you felt a little bit like that with I the police? I think sometimes it's a little bit like that, yes. But, but it draws attention. real time. Please. Yes. Sometimes some people do really good like hard Cheryl. Time. Just I mean, to say, uh, one of the things that motivates me um, is that the men in Guantanamo find out that we're doing this. Um, I probably mostly through their own lawyers. Uh, and it makes a world of difference to them. It's the only time most of them know anybody is even knows they're there. Right. Most Yuzians, we're not calling you all Americans yeah, anymore. Alan and uh, the last group they came and up Chris, with. Chris, we came up with Yuzians. Yuzians. United Statesians. That Yuzians, uh, most, uh, most of us don't understand what's going on there. I, I would hope that um, if us Yuzians knew about it, that we would close down Guantanamo. When is it going to close down? I, I guess the best you can really hope for at this point is they do not put anyone else in that prison. I mean, you'd love to see it shut down tomorrow. But the numbers have gone down over they the years. Gone. Oh, for sure. They and started with 779 men there. And right. Now they have 40. Obama said he was going to close it. Yeah. He signed and so an did executive Bush. order. 
Yes, yeah, so before him. No, but, so but Obama but signed an executive order right, the day right. after he was elected, uh, inaugurated, saying he would close it. Right. Why was that so important to him? He he could see that it was damaging U.S. interests abroad, and hopefully we are, our voices made a difference, but. We have to do it anyway because those men are still suffering. That's what I've learned from you all is that even if, that, yeah, you want people to know what you're doing. Tell me if I'm wrong. You do want to get the word out. You do want to get social media. You don't want to get the press. Absolutely. But in some sense, you're also doing it because you just have to do it. Yes. And you're doing it for yourself, for your own well-being. We're doing well -being. it for the men. Alan, I see what your question is. And and uh, I've been to many demonstrations, and, and people ask me, what good do you think it does? There you go. And I say, well, you know, it may not do any good whatsoever. But for me personally, when it comes time to open the ledger, my name's on the correct side. That's the way I feel, and that's why I do it. Yeah. I tried. I tried. I tried. Exactly. I, I tried. If I turn around and see that big mushroom in the sky, I can say, well... I did my best. My friends know I tried. My children Family. know I tried. My children are very, very proud of me. Wow. Yeah, they're very, very proud of me. Wow. That's great. I think that's a, that's a place to end. Yeah. Th thank you, Cheryl, Don, Herb, uh, and Helen. Thank you for being here with Barco Radio, but thank you for the work that you do. Thank you, Alan. More people need to know about it. This is Barco Radio. We're at the Iron Horse Tap Room in uh, Washington, D.C., 7th and E Streets very close to the White House, very close to the Congress, and um, very close in my hearts to witness against torture. These are wonderful people. Everyone should go to their website, see what they're doing. Becky. Yes. We did another Bar Crawl Radio. We did it, and this was a very strange one. Well, it was a very We're hard... sitting in a booth. Well, <laughs> and where we are, yeah. yeah. I know, but it, it worked. It no, worked. I did. And I was ready to give up, and you said, no, let's go and do that. I thought you meant this was a very strange topic, but no, it's, it's not a strange topic. It's a very heart-wrenching and, and very no. important topic. Yeah. And I, I'm, I thank you for doing this, Alan. And I thank you for taking the trip here to DC and and lugging all the equipment in the car. Love okay. you. Okay, you bet. Love you too. Detainees! What?